The Athletic. Hello everybody and welcome to The View from the Lane, the, with your help, soon to be multi-award winning Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. Uh, joining me, host Danny Kelly of The Athletic's Charlie Eccleshare and James Moore. Hello everybody. Um, on today's episode we react to the news that Timo Werner is joining Spurs. Uh, we'll also discuss Friday night's win over Burnley. Hooray, a proper team in the cup competition, um, which has booked our place in the fourth round of said FA Cup. Before we start today's show... Just to remind you that we are defending our crown as best team podcast at the Sports Podcasts Award. Head over, over to our Twitter page, at VFTL Podcast, for all the details on how to vote. That's at VFTL Podcast for all the details of how to vote. It may seem a small thing to you, and it may take up 45 seconds of your precious time um, and be meaningless. But for us, it is literally the most important thing that we win this again. And you'll be making... An old man, very happy if you go and vote now. Go to the Twitter page and see how to do it. And then do it. And then tell your children to do it as well. Even if they don't support Spurs. And then tell your neighbour that you'll stop looking after their cat for them unless they vote for this to win this podcast to win the thing. I'm not having um, not being the champions of this, so please. And even if it means you fall out with your neighbours and their cats, get there and vote now. Okay, who knew that we'd be calling this show the Timo Werner Hour? Um, Spurs apparently have agreed a deal with RB Leipzig to sign the former, well, among other things, Chelsea striker on loan. The deal includes an option to buy. Um, we put a poll on our Twitter page asking whether Werner will be a success. The results at the time of recording are pretty startling because 79% of you think he's going to be a, a success. I'm not suggesting um, that wishful thinking has come, uh, come into that a lot. Um, James, I want to start with you. Timo Werner, my friend, are we delighted with this transfer? Uh, to me, it feels like th- this signing, assuming it does happen, and we think we expect it will, is neither like, like being taken over like a longer term view, like a developmental signing, like a young player who has a really high ceiling that we kind of can expect to flourish in the longer term at Spurs, or like like a, a sure thing, or as close as you can realistically expect to get uh, to a sure thing in elite football. It's kind of a it's it's a punt basically, which is fine. But to bring you back to something that I said over the summer, you've just sold Harry Kane. <laughs> like, well, I mean, if I'd gone, if I let, let's wind back seven eight months to sort of the back end of last season when things are going badly wrong, if I come to you in April and say Spurs are going to sell Harry Kane and they're going to replace him with uh, Timo Werner and. Brennan Johnson and I'm and Brennan Johnson is obviously a young player with a high ceiling that is a you know one to develop that's fine how would you have reacted it it, it concerns me slightly that this I don't know I just don't find it entirely convincing as a signing and I know uh, Charlie you know there have been a couple of articles on the athletic over the weekend about the potential upside which I appreciate exists I'm not saying it won't work I, I'm just saying I'm not convinced that it will work uh, I don't know. To me, it's, it feels like the, it's the signing Harry Redknapp would make. That's how I'd say about it. And I think if he was joining, if he was joining West Ham in the year twenty twenty three, and a, a lot of these very clever people, clever people who tweet about Spurs, would have been saying it, it was a joke and a farce that they were signing it. 
what do you think? I, I, I've, I'm not convinced at all that it's a good signing. I, you know, this is a guy who looked completely bereft of confidence when he played for Chelsea over like a two-year period, not just like in a small small period of time. The entire time he was there, like you look like he could barely kick a football. You know, his goal record, I mean, actually, I think his goal and assist record per game actually wasn't abysmal. And I fully appreciate he'll probably play out wide quite a lot for Spurs. But I, I don't know, I, I kind of, my sense was that what Spurs should do and I think actually is, uh, and I'm not this is me putting Charlie on the spot but I think what we've reported on the Athletic is that Spurs are going to go up for an elite forward who would immediately improve the team in this transfer window I think a few months ago that the idea was you know that they were still looking to get potentially someone who could come in and, and do that but I mean I think there are two things going on here one you can say you can like James says if you zoom out you can say I'm frustrated that Spurs are in a position where they're in January and they're looking for a stopgap, essentially. I think that's a perfectly fine and valid view to hold. I think if you accept that that is where they are and that they're going into January needing a stopgap, as far as stopgaps go, who are plugging and play, have played in the Premier League, are decent, I think Werner's a, a fine, quite good option. Um, and I think those two views, are you can hold those simultaneously. I, I think the, the thing is, if you're go- January signings, almost by their nature have to be players either you spend more than you want to spend because what team if they've got a player that's firing in January is going to say yeah 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 come and take him and ruin the second half of our season that's not going to happen you have to sign players who are for whatever reason out of favor and the hope and Spurs's hope is that you can then do something differently with them they feel that with Postacoglu they've got a manager who can get the best out of players who are the managers might have thought mm, I'm not sure I'm not sure they're for me. Like that that just is the nature of these kind of January stopgaps. And you look even, you know, Benton and Kudasevsky, to varying degrees, certainly Kudasevsky was someone who at Juve they were fairly happy to let go at that point. And he's come and and, and done really well. So yeah, I, I think for what he is, he's a perfectly fine signing. It, and it's very different to when he joined Chelsea, and obviously there was a huge expectation because he just scored 28 goals in the Bundesliga, had been prolific, and the idea was that he was going to come in and be this mega prolific striker for Chelsea. Obviously, no one has that expectation now. I think most people think he's going to come in, be a useful option to a... I mean, this is a team that had to start Brian Hill away at Man City and scored three goals, by the way, but they are so underpowered. They need someone in there. Two names are important in this. One is Brian Hill... And he is a massive upgrade on Brian. I'm sorry. I, I love everything about his haircut and all the rest of it. Um, I, I've given this lad every, every chance. We saw against Burnley. The player I keep coming back to my mind is Adnan Yanazai, who, fantastic technical gifts, but because the Premier League, you're running into a succession of, of human beings who are actually brick walls who've learned to play football. Um, it just gets knocked off the ball. His touch means that he's got to compete for it again a second time. And I think he'll go back to Spain and have a perfectly decent career. Um, but he is an, an upgrade on Hill, for instance. And I, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure that he is going to start on the bench. Um, I mean, obviously, the Son thing is complicating this. But 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 the point is that um, at Celtic, um, a different league completely. I totally understand that as well. They they played with no size up front at all. It was all it was all trickery, flickery, technical, and speed. I think Postecoglou thinks that's you know the way you're going to do these things. He definitely can play, but he can do either. And that's why he's quite a, that's why he's a useful signing, especially when Son's away for the next few weeks. He can cover either of those positions. Ange Postecoglou presumably is behind this and for this. 
Um, in which case, currently, surely he has a, a, such a monstrous amount of credit in the bank that if he thinks he can do it, and all managers think they can make all players, even the ones who have had three years you know, off their peak, um, return to those peaks. And James, if, if he wants it, do, do, isn't, this, isn't this board backing him? Right, this is not me criticising Ange Postacoglu or directly comparing him to the person whose name I'm about to mention. But there was a time where everyone thought Brendan Rodgers was a really, really intelligent bloke and a really, really good manager and a really, really good coach. And he signed Mario Balotelli thinking because he was such a genius, he'd be able to get a tune out of him. And from memory, I think the only goal Mario Balotelli scored was, oh yeah, that's right, against Spurs. Yeah. Managers always think that they can, that they're the ones that can, I can change him, I can change him. Uh, you know, and I'm not suggesting, again, it, it definitely won't happen, but I, I don't know, I'm not entirely convinced. And look, and Danny, I, I, and I know this has proven to be a season of people accusing you of being a massive hypocrite. Mostly you, to be fair, not most other people, yeah. <laughs> 500 people in that room at the live show that were doing it. That wasn't hypocrisy. They were, they, were, they were cheering on my bravado, I thought. We took a different view on that, James. You have previously said that Spurs should be signing players for the top of the betting order, not the Sure bottom. they should. And uh, you know, I appreciate what Charlie says about the need for uh, short-term options in the January window. But... I don't know, to me it feels like just because he's better than Brian Hill, which I unquestionably he is. I know people are happy they signed a player at the start of the window rather than the end, which obviously is like a, a, a kind of pleasant change of approach. But I do wonder whether it would have been better to have kind of taken a slightly longer-term view and looked to find a, a better longer-term option rather than just kind of looking at this Manchester United game and saying, well, maybe. But I, th- I, I think... To find that longer term option, January's just not really the time to do it. Well, they shouldn't have been starting on the first of January. I, I, you know, they've had since they knew they were going to sign, sign, sell Harry Kane, which now we understand was like June or whatever. So no, but but it's not just about that. You can have a four month lead in period, but the point is, in January it's just really hard to sign long term options because most most of the big signings don't have don't happen in January because clubs don't want to sell in January. So your pool is so shrunk. So this is a really important signing when Spurs make it to get right. They don't, and, and you could say, well, why didn't they do it in the summer? And yet, yeah, that's valid. They did. They did spend quite a lot of money in the summer. And I mentioned Madison flippantly before. He was an important part of that replace an element of replacing Kane because his creativity. So I just think at this point, almost by their nature, that's what these signings are like. And you want someone ideally who has played in the Premier League because the the risk with I'm sure there there'll be plenty of players out there who are going to have better careers than Timo Werner, who are technically better than him who are more imaginative signings. The problem with those are, if you're, do, if you're looking at this as a kind of, this is a four months one, well, what if it takes them a bit of time to settle? Werner, in theory, shouldn't take as long. He's well, lived in the on, city two before. Years He's played in, in the Premier League. two years at Chelsea, he didn't settle the whole time. But I just think, but you know what you're getting. Either you... Th- you yeah, you we know what you're that. getting. We know what we're getting. Yeah, exactly. I just don't, I don't, are you saying though that you think there are tons of options that are way better than Werner or you're just annoyed that you're in a position where you're trying to sign him? Because bear in mind, Jota, Jota was being touted as someone and I think most fans were kind of like, yeah, fine, Jota, I've never really seen him play, don't know how good he is. This is a better signing than Jota. Uh, uh, mm. But that's because you haven't seen him, whereas you've seen Werner and you don't like him. But he's clearly, he's clearly good enough to do this role. Speaking of players I haven't seen, while you were talking, I've looked up Gift Alvin's record this season. He's really dropped off. They've really dodged the bullet there. Nobody, nobody is um, offering uh, fifty million for Gift Orban just now, are they? 
Um, the other thing I'd say, and look, we're always looking for tiny straws in the wind. I get that. Um, even though this is not the Germany of the 1980s and 1990s, you don't get 59 caps for Germany without having something about you. And of course, um, coming up in the summer is um, Timo Werner's one and only chance to play in a home tournament. Under a manager who he thrived under. And who and, and he's, he's still in the squad, you know, um, despite two barren, relatively barren years at Chelsea and not being in the first team at Leipzig. Let's not kid ourselves um, this season. He's won the Champions League as well, started in the final. Oh, what if you sign Ryan Bertrand then? I'm going to get loads of shit on Twitter now from these people. People were preempting that I'd be saying all this stuff. Let me be completely candid. And people who followed me on Twitter... People who follow me on Twitter for, for years will have seen me do this in more or less every transfer window. If Spurs hadn't signed a forward for the whole window and it got to the last day of the window and then they'd signed him, I'd think it was amazing. I'm just I'm just I'm just contextualizing my opinion for everybody. There's no there's no need to take it seriously. I'm not super against it. There's a, there's a there is a reasonable chance it'll work out well for Spurs. I put it no more strongly than that. It's like a, it is a punt. It's a, it's a toss of a coin. It might work. It might not. My prediction for how it'll go, and I said this to Charlie before. How many goals it was? Was it? I said Charlie three in the Premier League, two in the FA Cup, dependent on the draw, and they'll score a goal in a game right at the end where we'll play well, and they'll sign him on the basis of that game. But I think what's funny about that is that what that touches on. I think most people are in agreement about what his output will be. It all comes down to expectations. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with me having high standards. Sure. Sure. Yeah, I mean, some would say unrealistic. Some would say, who is this sort of unicorn January signing that they're going to get for, you know, that, that, that's that been amazing. And a team is like, you know what, actually, Spurs, you have him. Yeah, I, we don't really need, we don't really need Ollie Watkins the second half of the season. Take him. Yeah, just give us whatever you find. What's uh, Leandro Damiao up to these days? That, that's the one. Yeah, Kevin Phillips, he still looks very fit yeah. to me. All right, um, let's talk about um, a tremendously unremarkable match, uh, bejeweled by a completely remarkable goal, and I think a very interesting selection. Spurs went as much as they can with 10 players missing through injury suspension um, and international commitments. Charlie, you were there. Spurs went flat out, played their strongest possible 11, as far as I could see, um, and beat Burnley, as I say, in a game that I wouldn't pay to watch again, you know? Yeah, it wasn't great. I mean, I think the biggest thing almost from it was the, avoiding the replay was was massive just because it would have disrupted their plans so much at a time where you do feel like they like every Premier League club really need a recharge so yeah I mean it was an entirely forgettable game really flat but an amazing goal to win it um, and yeah I think that's it's one of those games you slightly just move on from Porro was as he has been all season outstanding and now with Son Missing the next few weeks, he can really burnish that Spurs player of the season so far. I mean, part, partly just by dint of the fact that he's been one of the only ones who's never been unavailable. What did you make of it, Chase? I mean, I was just glad they picked a strong team. Yeah, um, it, it really wasn't the game I expected. I, I was, you know, given the way Burnley play, given the way Spurs play, uh, and the fact both teams, for different reasons, would be so keen to avoid a replay, I was expecting like a really open kind of end-to-end game. And although there was a bit of that in the first half without either team creating really good chances, it was like, I mean, I mean, it was a game of few few good openings, for, especially for two teams of that kind of style. I, I mean, look, I, it was an amazing goal. It, it, it doesn't really tally with uh, Pedro Porro's kind of growing reputation. I know it's his first goal of the season, but like all the goals, two or three goals he scored last season, they were like incredibly, three. Three, really good goals as well. 
He's the new Stephen Carr. Stephen Carr would like get like two or three goals a season, and it all be absolutely incredible. Manchester United, yeah, yeah, Manchester United. Ah. One one against one against Sunderland, where he like kind of chipped Thomas Sorensen from like the edge of the box in the last day of the season. Yeah, it, it wasn't a great game, but I, I mean, I, I, it did really highlight uh, how much. And I don't think anyone was necessarily ignorant to the fact, but uh, I mean, Son is clearly going to be such a huge miss in these next kind of four or five games. Really lacking that kind of intelligent movement off the ball. Like there were so many times where they had the ball kind of in or, or kind of moving into the attacking third where Johnson, Richarlison, to an extent Kulisevsky were kind of quite static and weren't really kind of dropping off and making kind of clever runs in between defenders. It, it just felt a bit, yeah, like maybe it's going to be a bit of an insight. I mean, look, Manchester United game would be totally different uh, and the emphasis would be on Manchester United to attack way more. So maybe there'll be those kind of openings, but... Yeah, it wasn't great. I, I mean, I suppose we're really hoping for an incredibly easy fourth round tie as well, mm. like a similarly sort of yeah home to a team who don't want to be in it. A bit like a bit like Burnley, who'd probably rather not bother. So maybe I, I don't know what, what, what's it like a championship team that's sort of vaguely pushing for promotion and isn't that yeah bothered? exactly. One thing I thought you know um, you you lose Harry Kane. People, you're not. Spurs are not going to score zero goals because they lose Harry Kane. It's not the way the game works. Um, Son has stepped up, done very well. You lose Son, um, and he actually said, you know, that the others have got to step up now while I'm away. Um, I'm not suggesting they didn't play as well as they could. I mean, I think they're pretty leggy Spurs at the moment as well, from having not been able to change the team. But Richarlison, Kulisevsky, and Brennan Johnson. If I was to get them quietly in a room, um, I wouldn't be shouting at them. I would say, guys. Um, just try and, and be one ten percent more positive. Just to take the shot if it if it occurs to you. Just get the cross in, not with your third touch, but with your second touch. And I thought it was a little bit of hesitancy about them, and as though they instead of filling the gap left by Son, they were aware of it. You know, um, I just I just thought they, they there were chances when they could have hit the ball earlier, um, and they were looking to make one more pass and. That doesn't work in the way, as far as I can uh, unravel the way Postecoglou wants to play. Directness, for all the intricacy, directness is part of it too. And I suppose got into a little bit of that thing of teams passing the ball around on the edge of the opposition box, um, like it was handball rather than football. Yeah, and I do detect that, James, you're not better than me, but amongst the fans at the ground, it does feel there is some irritation at that sort of perceived anyway, kind of passing it around and not getting shots off. Like that's been a bit of a theme in the last few weeks. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think that would probably be any crowd at any game, really, wouldn't it? I think that's a thing that football fans in general get incredibly frustrated by, like things happening, you know, the ball being moved around slowly and not incisively. But yeah, you're right. I, I, I you know, it, it's definitely a problem they have. Uh, and I suppose the return of James Madison, if we see that in the next couple of games, could be another thing that would make a big difference because he certainly is someone who can move the ball quickly and incisively. I mean, jo- Johnson's really interesting. Like, I wrote the, my match piece from this game about him because I, yeah, I, I think he, in some ways, to me, he feels like someone who's doing everything that's asked of him by Postacoglu, gets in all of the right positions and he's, and when he's asked to do things like hit a low, straight cross, he can do it really well. There's something almost quite orthodox about him and I feel like what you're saying, Danny, about getting the more shots off. I sometimes just, and maybe it's instructional, but you just wanted to play a bit more on instinct and just try a few things. It just feel it, it feels, 
I don't know, maybe it's just a confidence thing or it hasn't fully clicked for him, but it's like, it's so close because he, I really do think in so many ways he's doing just what Ange wants. He takes up really good positions. His, his movement's really intelligent. He gets in a lot of crosses. He actually gets a few shots. He got, I think it was six shots he got off and four of them were on target. But even with his shots, you know, most of those shots, those four shots on target, I don't think any of them required a particularly good save. Um, and yeah, so I would, yeah, would almost be saying to, you know, just just go for it a bit more, try things. It doesn't matter if they don't come off. Because um, I do think it will click for him. But at the moment, he just needs that moment. He scored just the one goal. He's got four assists. But he just needs a moment to kind of really elevate him. You know, he's had a few near misses and... But but it's it's Jack made the point, which I think is really true, that because of Solomon and Perisic being out, he's played a lot more than he you know. He's, I think he started eleven straight games, and now Son's out, so there's kind of more emphasis on him than might have been ideal for a player that yes, cost a lot of money, but is making a bit of a step up. Um, one or two uh, other perhaps forgotten faces got a chance. Um, first of all, Mickey Van de Ven on the bench was uh, something to uh, raise the spirits of any Spurs fan. I'm, I'm glad I didn't have to bring him on because I'm sure that wasn't part of the plan. Um, Ryan Sessignon. I wasn't sure I'd ever see him in a Spurs first team shirt again. There he was. Um, and of course, it was, it was a cameo. And twice he let the ball kind of roll out of play. Once it was his fault and once it was the passer's fault. But I thought, God, if ever a player needed a break, James, because um, there's something in Ryan Sessignon, I think. Um, maybe, maybe we won't see it at Spurs now, but... Um, it, there he was, actually playing professional football again. Funnily enough, I was looking this up the other day. I guess it must have been on Friday night during the game. And he has played 56 games for Spurs in, what now, like four and a half years? I know he had a year out on loan at uh, Hoffenheim in the middle of that. But for some, a player who costs like £25 million, um, that isn't really a great return, just purely in terms of the minutes. It has felt like he's had a bit of bad luck. Obviously, you mentioned the injuries, but also like there were a couple of times under Conte where it felt like he was just starting to get going, and then uh, uh, like he had to be. There was a game where they had to completely change the system. Was that it? Was one of those Southampton or Wolves games in like January, February, twenty twenty two? Was it Wolves? Maybe. Yeah, it was Wolves. They went down 2-0 really early and, and he got, hurt. got flipped around. Yeah, and, and then, you know, clearly there was like a spell there where he was in the team and we were talking about like Doherty and Sessegnon being like the definitive. They scored, there was a goal at Leeds where... Leeds, yeah. Where Sessegnon crossed it in for Doherty and it was like, this is the definitive Conte goal. We'll be delighted with that. And, you know, similar as it did for Matt Doherty, it just kind of fell away. Obviously, Doherty had the injury. Uh yeah, it is a it is an odd case because you know he costs twenty five million pounds. I think I'm right in saying he's got like a year left on his contract. Is he twenty twenty five, Charlie? Yeah, yeah. After this season, a year. Yeah. If if he goes out on loan now, which I would suggest is a possibility in this month, and has like half a dozen good games at a Premier League club, I suppose they get their money back. But if he doesn't, like they're going to basically end up losing him for nothing next summer, aren't they? I just don't see like. I don't think they'll get that much. I mean, he is only 23, um, which is in his favour. I just think it's tough with a with an injury record like that. Um, I mean, and look, hopefully that that this will sort it, and that's why it's taken so long. I mean, it's 11 months since he played. If you think he he got injured the game before the last game he played was the week before Bentancur, and obviously Bentancur has recovered um, quite a lot quicker from an ACL. Um, yeah, it is it is just such a shame for him because. He is a really good player. 
He's got a lot going for him. I mean, I mentioned Johnson before and sometimes, you know, you're wanting to just give him that injection of confidence or self-belief or whatever it is. And I felt that with Sessignon, there are times where you just want him maybe to take on his man and, you know, not take uh, not not take that pass back or whatever it is because it's it's kind of all there for him. For most of us, January means New Year's resolutions. But for the footballing world, January means one thing. Transfers. There's a lot going on, and to stay on top of every move that matters, you need the Athletic Football Podcast. They were prioritising somebody like Mason Mount. Five days a week, we'll help you cut through the noise with the most reliable reporters in the industry. David Ornstein, Adam Crafton, Laurie Whitwell, and many more will not only tell you what the deal is, but how it happened too. So make sure you don't miss a single transfer beat in January with the Athletic Football Podcast. Listen for free wherever you get your shows and hit follow and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. Yeah, welcome back to The View From The Lane. James Moore, Charlie Exher and me, Danny Kelly at the controls. Um... Something Spurs might or might not have been expecting, I think, is happening, uh, un, uh, unfolding, you might say, or uh, if you're being taking a less positive view of it, unravelling. First, Jed Spence was sent back from his loan period um, uh, at, at Leeds. Dane Scarlett had to come back from Ipswich. Region was not kept on by Manchester United. Yafit Tanganga hasn't played a single minute of first-team football in Germany, and the talk is that he'll be back as well. Do you know? Do you know what's happening here, Charlie? I mean, they, they, uh, they, I counted with Lloris gone, Dyer not gone, and if all those came back, Spurs would have thirty or thirty-one um, players with first-team experience. Um, I'm not including Jamie Donnelly. That's thirty-two. They've got faster. They, they, they cannot expect all the, all the loanees except Rodon to be on their way back. No, I mean that is loans are not an easy thing to get right, but that is that's pretty bad, isn't it? When you've got that many players. Coming back, I mean, in the United case, the sense was that they, you know, it was kind of cover while Luke Shaw was injured. He's now back. They've got Malassia, so they just don't think they're really going to need him. So it's not worth it. Spence, yeah, we were talking about this before, and it's just really sad to see something like that happening because, you know, the the noises coming out of Leeds is that he wasn't sent back necessarily because of his playing ability, but he hadn't fitted in with the group and... But seriously, are they going to have to find clubs for, in theory, Tanganga, Ndombele, Spence, Region? You can't force clubs to take players. And also, there's always that tricky thing of, are they the right club for their development? You know, are they going to play the, a similar style of football? Are they going to get minutes? And obviously, that can never be guaranteed. But they're just, you know, we've spoken about this last season. I did a piece on Spurs, their issues, and not just them. Most leading Premier League clubs' issues in trying to sell players. And you're seeing it play out with Hoybier now as well, where there just isn't really a club, as as happened in the summer, there isn't a club that's going to come in with the kind of money that Spurs want because most clubs in Europe don't have that kind of money. Premier League clubs do have that money, but why would they put 25 million euros towards a player who's, I think, 28, uh, who's okay, but not amazing, when with 25 million euros, they could go and bully a club in Europe who desperately need that money and take a young, exciting player. Because that's the kind of power now that Premier League clubs have. Uh, So the the market's just really screwed. Not that that means you can't 
have more successful loans, as has been shown with Joe Roden. Um, but yeah, it's frustrating because suddenly you've got all these problems that you thought you resolved in the summer just coming back. And <laughs> I always say this about January, you want as little to do as possible, really. They've got plenty on their plate there. The next two questions are linked um, and they are from listeners and they are both to do with speed. Ben S asks, uh, has there ever been any correlation between speed and success? Um, i.e. a fast squad wins games. We are building a front line of Olympic athletes in Timo, Johnson and Son. Is this a recipe for success? Dominic Attenborough um, asks, have you, if you have to run and win a 200 metres versus any one of the current Spurs squad in order to save your house, who would you pick? I, I would be very curious. I mean, like, I was thinking about this and Fraser Forster's the, uh, I mean, obviously none of them would I actually be, but Fraser, I, I'm, I would, well, I'd be I'd be really curious to know how rapid a Premier League goalkeeper well, Vicario, like we know is. he is. Look at the way he comes off his line yeah. against Chelsea. But, but Forster's a much more conventional stay on your line kind of keeper. Like, yeah, is he is it actually like no, but obviously don't be an idiot. He's a professional athlete, he's he's really quick. Or would you be like, Yeah, I mean, he would beat me. Vicario explosive over eighteen yards, but what about over two hundred meters? I mean obviously he would destroy me. But, James, I'm still but, backing him, Vicario. Yeah, 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 all due I, respect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, 26.2 miles, I would back myself. Here we go. See, see Charlie's Twitter bio for more information. It's not there anymore, is it? Could you outrun Kulisevsky? Over that distance, yeah. What's your best time in a marathon, Charlie? Forgive, forgive me for not, for not looking at your stats. Walked into that one. Uh, two hours, 51 minutes. But that's incredible. That's an incredibly <laughs> quick time much, for, a, yeah. for a citizen. This is pathetic. Under three hours twice, and yeah, the quickest was 2.51. Okay. Well, I think you probably could out-marathon any of the Spurs players then because, you know, footballers are designed for middle distance rather than long distance running, aren't they? Exactly. I reckon Skip, if he wanted to go in that direction, I reckon he'd be a very, very handy distance runner. Thank you very much for the question, Dominic, because it's um, 200 metres is, you know, we just, you know, professional footballs are going to kill us. Um, but now we know that we've got a marathon champion on the firm. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be offering Spurs players out on Twitter. Come on in. Danny and I will not be any of them in a marathon either. By the way, <laughs> no, we won't. Um, it's a bit like when you're sitting in a pub and you're, you know, the boxy's on the background, and somebody says to you, "I could beat him." Oh my God! <laughs> no, you couldn't beat him. Have you? Have, I mean, you've ever had a conversation with a boxer and just watch the way they set themselves? Because like, they, they can't help themselves. So often in my work at Talk Sport, I've had ex boxers in the room with me, even tiny little guys, half my size. Oh yeah. And when they and they can't help themselves, they always get themselves into the stance, and then you realise the speed and the stability from which they're coming at you. To, to be able to like talking about stamina, to be able to box is unreal. I mean, you're basically just sprinting. You're on your feet. Just, it's it's insane. Hang on, which, which Spurs player would you be able to beat in a boxing bout? I mean, again, none of them, but... I want to see mm. I want to see Danny versus Romero. No, no. It, oh, <laughs> in a ring, none of them. In a phone box, I can think of several that I could win. <laughs> what about what about in a pub car park? <laughs> no, they 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 would they'd exhaust me by running away for the first ten minutes, wouldn't they? I I think me against Brian Hill would be quite close. Lightweight Spider Man me. <laughs> you think Brian? I mean, you see now you're bringing back Brian Hill. Looks like he could run forever. Yeah, 
Yeah, Look, yeah. Charlie's giving us the very learned. I think I know a bit about running forever. Don't you worry about that, son. <laughs> <laughs> He's giving us a bit of that, wasn't he? All right, all right. Here we go, James. With your current skill set, is there any sport or pastime that you believe you could beat any of the Spurs players at? <laughs> pastime. Yeah, because I'm including darts and snooker. Tottenham Twitter. No, I don't. I don't really have any podcasts of my own discernible skill, and we've heard how that's gone. Well, you're part of an award-winning and soon-to-be multi-award-winning. That's podcast. true. Actually, none of none of t- to date, no Spurs player has won an award for a podcast. No, Charlie, uh, taking away um, your um, amazing slow twitch fibers, um, is there any other skill, sport, or pastime? And I don't include the Greek language. Have we got time for this? He's going to list about eight hundred things now. <laughs> <laughs> well, pastime. Yeah, I mean, like, board games and things like that. I'd, I'd back myself some of them. Or buckaroo. Sort of I would beat yeah. Ben Davis at Buckaroo. I don't believe you would. He seems very calm to me, Ben. Okay, thank you very much, Dominic and uh, Ben, for those questions, which set off a rather more interesting conversation than I had originally envisaged. I'll be the judge of that. Um, Spurs Alchemist says, after we sort out our centre-back and striker reinforcements, what kind of midfielder do we need more? A defensive one? He says, like Gallagher, I'm not sure that Gallagher is a defensive one, or a creative one like Kubo. Um, I tend to think the latter. I suppose it's going to reinforce in midfield. Well, part of that does depend a bit on if they can get rid of someone like Hoybier. Um They do have quite a lot of midfielders, uh, as, as much as some are unavailable now at AFCON and there are some injuries. It is a position, I mean, if they can get Dragosin in, then that becomes the focus. Are they going to, do you think? I was saying, like, there is confidence that that will happen. I've just seen while we're recording that Bayern, uh, he's on Bayern's list as well. Um, as if Spurs weren't trying to get Dyer to Bayern uh, hard enough as it was. That kind of adds another layer to that. I mean, yeah, I, I, over the weekend, in conversations I was having, the noises were positive about Dragozan, but we've, there's, there's no, I, I wouldn't guarantee it, obviously, at this point. Um, which takes us to a question then from Siobhan. Do you think Andrew's got another surprise return in the team like he had in the last two matches? Um, Madison or Romero, maybe. Um, he's not making any kind of promises about any of those, is he? Madison can't be a million miles off being fit, can he? I, I asked Madison at uh, the last press conference. And he basically just said he's not in training yet. So until they are, he can't put a time frame on it. Okay, well, it'd be... It, we're all waiting for Romero seems like to me it feels like a month away yeah I asked about Romero as well and he said basically the same as Madison as in not not the same time frame just the same he's not training yet so I can't say imagine what that's going to be like a, like more or less everyone fit and like a full bench of like you know senior players that's going to feel so good after all of this time to have like you know midfield Madison in midfield Son back from Asian Cup yeah Benson Karen Saar or maybe, you know, I mean, you, know, you have Basuma on the bench, you've got Johnson on the bench, you've got Timo Werner on the bench. <clears throat> you know, uh, uh, this is going to be, that wasn't just an excuse to have a dig at Timo Werner, by the way. Uh, uh, it's going to feel so good to have like players like that on the bench that can affect the game. Uh, it's going to feel completely alien to how it's felt over the last few months. That's, that's the thing I'm really clinging to. And it feels quite close now as well. Um, listen, thank you both very, very much indeed. Just to remind the rest of you that the show has its own official home on Twitter, at VFTL Podcast. 
where you have to go to see how to vote to make sure that we retain our title as best world football podcast and do that now. You can email us to tell us you've done the voting um, at vftl at theathletic.com. And for the best Spurs coverage anywhere, uh, make sure you sign up to The Athletic. Um, take advantage of our latest offer of just $1.99 a month for 12 months. Simply go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. We'll be back on Thursday. Thank you for listening. God bless you all. Cheers. The Athletic.